0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole unveils the conservative climate plan. We match Mr. Trudeau's emission reductions uh, by 2030. It's a smart plan to reduce emissions but it's vastly superior on securing and creating jobs, getting our economy back to work in all sectors and in all regions of the country. Addressing vaccine hesitancy in Canada.
1: What we're saying is when you're offered a vaccine, then take the first one that's offered to you because the longer you wait to get vaccinated, the longer it is that you're not protected, potentially you know, from getting COVID-19 and getting seriously ill from COVID-19.
0: And there are calls for an investigation into a leaked photo of a naked MP. The
2: conduct of the person who took the screenshot, is not only extremely unfortunate, but it is mean-spirited and life-changing for one of our colleagues. Taking a photo of someone who is changing clothes
0: and in the nude and sharing it without their consent could be very well be criminal. It's Friday, April 16th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at-issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us today.
2: Good morning,
1: Mark.
0: So let's talk about where we stand with regard to the pandemic and the rising rate of infections, particularly in Ontario. There are reports that the number of infections could reach 18,000 per day which is about four times where it is even now, which is bad, uh, by the end of May. And so there is talk that very strict measures could soon be put in place and that the Ontario government is even asking the federal government for help. So what are you hearing about what's going on right now?
2: Yes. So the, um, Ontario cabinet met and they are considering a few changes, but already, um, we're basically living in the in the lockdowns that we were living in the late spring in Ontario. And now the Ford government is looking at restricting things even further, thinking of closing all non-essential retail. So these are the stores like the bookstore, for example, that's open for curbside pickup or delivery, restricting retail hours of operations for essential goods like pharmacies and grocery stores, shutting down non-essential construction and warehouses and manufacturings that are not related to food or health or cars. Um, Prohibiting outdoor gatherings for non-family members. So right now you can have friends over in your backyard if you're both wearing masks and at two meters of distance. Um, So that would no longer be available. Um, And tightening restrictions for um, indoor events like places of worships and weddings and funerals. They're thinking about increasing fines, giving police more powers, you mentioned that the Ford government had written to the federal government asking uh, for requests for financial help uh, to help fund more, um, basically, more critical care support workers. Premier Ford has also written to Alberta Premier Jason Kenney and Premier Moe asking them if they can spare some healthcare workers to help Ontario. There's also a great uh, concern that the P1 variant could travel from BC and will little pockets where um, it has taken hold in Alberta to eastern Canada. So there is now um, greater talk about possibly creating more provincial bubbles and banning interprovincial travel. So there's a growing alarm across the country, I would say, and uh, especially in Ontario where case counts continue to mount and more changes are likely to be announced soon.
0: And where the, the vaccines, as they be, are being rolled out, it's still going to take some time for them to have an effect, right? Especially because people are only getting their first dose and many of the people who got vaccinated a couple of weeks ago won't get their second dose until July or August. So it's, we're, we're kind of in a bit of a time lapse here, a, a critical period where not enough people have been vaccinated and the infection rate is still rising.
2: That's true, and also uh, there's the vaccination has been plagued, uh, to be kind, I think, with problems. Um, you know, in in areas in Ontario of uh, hot zones, uh, there hasn't been the proportion of vaccines and people being vaccinated um, in a way that you would expect, where case in areas of the province that have uh lower case counts, more people have been vaccinated. Uh so there's definitely an unfairness in the distribution. There's also the concerns that the P one variant, the Brazilian variant, um, might might not um might be you might be able to get infected even if you have uh the COVID vaccine because they're now seeing people with who've had COVID nineteen get the P one variant. And um Health Canada's been not um not very clear on that i think they just there's a lack of study at the moment right like the sample size must be incredibly small so perhaps that's why they're they're kind of letting this hang out there but not giving us lots of clarity about it so yes more reasons to be alarmed
0: yeah all right let's turn to erin o'toole's carbon plan uh and and climate plan uh, which does Uh include a carbon tax and and i'm interested in What do you think of the reaction so far? Because there are people who are saying it's a milestone that the conservative leader is embracing the idea of carbon pricing. Um, And there are others, of course, who are saying that it doesn't go far enough. And given that this will be one of the criteria on which Aaron O'Toole will be evaluated by voters in the next federal election, whenever that is, what do you think about how uh, the reaction, uh, what the reaction has been so far?
2: Well, I would say both those reactions are correct. I think it's a huge milestone that the Conservative Party has decided, like the other political parties in this country, uh, the major political parties, to clearly say that carbon pricing is the most effective, effective mechanism to reduce greenhouse gases. That they have um, jumped on that part of the equation. Um you know what, Mr. O'Toole continues to say that it's not a tax, but I think, as you said in your introduction, we uh, everybody who knows this file agrees that that's basically verbal gymnastics. Um, I think it's also possible to uh, to believe that there is not enough information in the plan to correct to to evaluate how effective the plan will be but i think it is unfair for some critics to say that it's not going to have an effect and looking at what the plan does in some ways it goes well the modeling the conservative Party's own third party modeling so the company they paid to evaluate their plan says that it doesn't quite get to where the liberals are at the moment but it gets there pretty close the word they're using is comparable the way that it gets there, though, is a more expensive and a more regulation-heavy uh, manner. But that, in some ways, is to avoid increasing the price on carbon at the level that the Liberals want to increase it, which is, you know, it's going to reach $50 soon and then it's going to go up to twenty, thirty, to $170 a ton. The, the Tories did not want to go there. So what they're doing is they are... Um, making the um, the implementation of the low carbon fuel standard much more of an ambitious target and a more ambitious target for renewable natural gas. These two things are more expensive than and they're more ambitious in terms of regulation than what the Liberals have outlined at the moment. And I should say at the moment because the Liberals yesterday, the environment minister, um, told reporters that that next week, when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau meets with President Biden virtually as part of this 40 leaders su- environmental summit, um, the government is going to announce more ambitious targets. So the Tories have announced a plan that reaches the Paris 2030 targets, but that is not where the Liberals are going to go, and that is not where climate experts say we need to go. So, uh, like this, there there is possible, the Tories plan is a far superior plan than what Andrew Scheer presented in the last election. I think it's important to remember that. The second thing I would say, though, is that um, on the the personal side of things, Aaron O'Toole has, he kept talking about his plan as daring yesterday. It is daring in the the sense that it is not clear how many members of his own caucus and his own party are going to support this plan. Um, MPs I spoke with yesterday told me that they had not been briefed about this plan before they learned about it in the media through weeks. And then it wasn't until the technical briefing was over with reporters that they were basically got a look at what the plan was. Um, a lot of the Western MPs are livid. Um, people are speaking aloud about possibly joining Jay Hill's Maverick Party. Um, People were telling me that they're already their phone lines were were busy and their mm. email boxes were flooded because of conservative party members, volunteers, donors, um, who are really angry about uh, O'Toole's reversal on the carbon tax. So um, it's you know it's possible that he has basically developed a plan that will please nobody, um, and that is an unfortunate situation. But I think it's important to remember that the things that he is suggesting, this low carbon savings account, the low carbon fuel standard, the renewable natural gas investments in hydrogen and small modular nuclear reactor and carbon capture, these, um, it's a a credible plan.
0: Okay. We're short on time, but let's talk about a, a story that has surfaced in the last 48 hours about a member of parliament who... It appears accidentally uh, was naked on a, an online meeting. And now there are as many questions asked uh, being asked about how the photo got shared as there are about why the circumstances happened in the first place. And Pablo Rodriguez, the government house leader, is calling for an investigation into this. So uh, what are your thoughts on, on this strange story that has unfolded late this week?
2: Well, MPs are not allowed to take pictures in the House of Commons about colleagues uh, who may be, you know, we've seen it before, um, shopping for shoes on their iPad while they're supposed to be attending question period. Um, you're basically not supposed to um, take anything that's not in public view on, like, the the House of Commons Um, feed, you know, what CPAC, for example, broadcasts to the public. What happened is Will Amos, the Liberal MP for Pontiac, says he came back to the office and was changing out of his jogging clothes into his work outfit um, before he was going to take his place in front of the camera where his colleagues and the public could see him. And so this was on the internal feed, the feed that is available, you know, like before your Zoom call where you get to see everybody before the meeting starts. And he didn't realize that his camera was on Um, Mr. Rodriguez has asked the Speaker to investigate uh, saying that this might be a criminal behaviour of sharing a picture of somebody who's naked on the internet without their consent. So um, it seems that uh, an MP that uh, is not, so they say, from the Bloc or the NDP because the party whips for both those parties have told the Liberals that it's not one of their own members. Um, So the speculation is that it is a Conservative member who took a screen capture and sent it to reporter Brian Lilly, who put it on the internet, on Twitter. And, uh, uh, well, the fallout is the fallout that we saw yesterday. Um, and poor Will Amos, um, has, uh, you know, taken to Facebook and to thank people for reaching out with their supportive comments. And Mr. Rodriguez says it's really unfair and unfortunate that, you know, somebody, um, professional life, personal life, now heavily impacted with nude photos of themselves on the internet, um, because someone took a screen capture that they shouldn't have taken and should not have shared. Um, So we'll see whether the speaker actually has the potential to find out who who did that leak. But um, yeah, I think it's important to remember, too, you know, would we be treating the story differently if it was a woman?
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah.
2: So, yeah.
0: Yeah, very good point. All right. Althea, thank you for joining us today. Have a great weekend.
2: Thank you very much. You too. See you Monday. Budget
0: day. That's CBC at-issue panelist Althea Raj. Canada's Conservatives will scrap the federal carbon tax backstop and work with the provinces to implement an innovative and national personal low-carbon savings account. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin considers the Conservative Carbon Plan. Martin writes, Aaron O'Toole's flip on carbon taxes was an instant flop. Not only will suddenly reversing a dozen years of howling at the job-killing carbon tax infuriate the party's western base, but the plan seems unlikely to widen the party's appeal in key Ontario battlegrounds. This gamble could mean the biggest threat— To O'Toole's prime ministerial ambition won't be the Liberals he will face. It'll be the angry party behind his back. In the National Observer, Max Fawcett argues O'Toole's climate plan is the worst of both worlds. Fawcett writes While O'Toole's plan will almost certainly trigger the anti carbon tax part of his base, it's not clear why it would impress anyone who actually cares about climate change. At least the Federal Conservative Party has decided it doesn't want to keep dying on the same hill it's been fighting to protect for years. But make no mistake, they are simply retreating to a new hill. Rather than resisting a carbon tax, they'll make the case for a rebranded one that does as little as possible. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield argues, Canada seems ready for the challenge, as Justin Trudeau prepares to set an ambitious new target for greenhouse gas reduction. Schofield writes, The federal Liberals are poised to commit to cutting greenhouse gas emissions by more than 40% by 2030. Taken together with the Conservatives' new climate plan and surging investment into clean energy, it's one more sign that Canada and Canadian voters are ready for fundamental changes to how our economy and our energy consumption work. If we can pull this off, the next generation just might thank us. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The House of Commons Health Committee will hear from some of the key federal actors involved in the Canadian government's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more
1: on what's on the agenda this afternoon. Mark, for two hours this afternoon, the Commons Health Committee will again be hearing from both Federal Health Minister Patty Haidu and Procurement Minister Anita Anand. I say again because it's now become a rel- relatively regular occurrence on a Friday for the committee members to have a chance to grill these two ministers. Expect a number of questions to Health Minister Haidu on the issue of safety, approval, and the selection of COVID-19 vaccines as well as questions on the growing debate over what are the most appropriate next measures as it becomes more and more obvious that more needs to be done to stem the onslaught of the third wave of the pandemic. Expect questions about a possible greater federal role in helping, as Ontario and soon Alberta and B.C. will face an ever-increasing health care burden. And of course, the Procurement Minister, Anita Anand. She will face a grilling on the federal government's record on delivering vaccines to the provinces and territories. Also, after the two ministers, the committee will also spend another hour hearing from the man responsible for the federal vaccine rollout, Major General Danny Fortin, the head of the Public Health Agency of Canada, as well as the agency's chief public health officer, Dr Theresa Tam, and also from the head of the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. And that, of course, is the body which made those much debated recommendations concerning the acceptable interval between doses of COVID vaccines, and who should receive the AstraZeneca vaccine. So Mark, an interesting session this afternoon at the Health Committee.
0: Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will begin the day by speaking with Queen Elizabeth. He will then hold a news conference to speak about COVID-19, along with Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc and Public Services Minister Anita Anand. This afternoon, the Prime Minister will meet virtually with the Bonavista Social Club in Newfoundland and Labrador. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference to speak about the situation at Laurentian University in Northern Ontario. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will speak at a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna and Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will attend a virtual announcement about COVID-19 response infrastructure. And Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make a virtual announcement about public transit. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April 16th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.